The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Geeks of Gotham and Dark Knight devotees, it's time to strap on your utility belts because we're talking about the Wizard Batman special publication from 1998. Letting you know that if I had a utility belt, it would be filled mostly with old 90s comic book trading cards. I'm Adam. And ready to offer tech support for the Batcave as long as I can take the Batmobile out for a spin, I'm Michael. And, uh, you know, swinging in from the rooftop tonight uh, for our discussion is a special guest. Yes, someone that we've been hearing from lately. He's probably dealt with a few jokers in his day. He's a guy who once challenged Matches Malone to a game of one-on-one basketball before quickly realizing it was not the same guy from the 1992 Dream Team. It's Lee Markowitz. (laughs) Thanks for having me, guys. Isn't that Carl Malone you're referring to? That's the point. He matches Malone. He thought it was Carl Malone. Uh, I I think they're very different people. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. We're going to be talking about Batman tonight, but we've got the man with us right now. Lee, we got to know where it all started for you, how you got on this crazy train of comics. So why don't you tell us your origin story? Yeah, sure. So actually with Batman, it makes sense that my origin story would begin with him since we're talking about him tonight. Batman 89 was the beginning of me on like remembering him in any kind of media. And then I got into other comic book characters, I would say, through things like uh, X-Men the Animated Series, Spider-Man the Animated Series, basically all the cartoons of the 90s that we all know and love. And then in the mid 90s, I was at a Walden Books at the local mall here in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And they still had a, a real spinner rack, which I, you know, miss desperately. Those kind of things just popping up all over the place and i was able to pick up an issue of green lantern 78 which uh sort of alludes to a conversation we've had in the past about the kyle rayner casting call and that got me hunting for more comics so then i ended up finding a local comic book shop much to my parents dismay because you know i'm still uh under the age of 16 so you need like the ride to get to every place you need to go and i was always bugging them for rides and cash to (laughs) (laughs) get comic books. So I started collecting a lot of DC stuff, I would say. I did like some Marvel stuff. I really liked Busick and uh, Perez's uh, Avengers run in the late 90s. I actually, it's funny, that book actually only got into my collection because the pull list I had, the shop owner accidentally inserted a copy of Age of Ultron, I think. And so I was like, what is this? I accidentally bought this. And then I read it and I was like, this is amazing. I got to go back and buy it all. But uh, mostly DC stuff and bought a lot of Wizard Magazine. I had a subscription in the 90s. So sad the amount of issues I've had to rebuy over the years, like just trying to sort of get back to that nostalgia. But I probably collected Wizard from 95 through, you know, 2000. Like it was uh, one of those things where I think the last couple of years, though, were definitely just the subscription had not been paid for. They just kept sending it, I think, to keep me on the rolls. Like, you know, you're just sort of like another, uh, they can tell our advertisers they have a certain number of subscribers. But I had a lot of issues of Wizard and that kept me in the loop on a lot of stuff that I otherwise would not have uh, gotten into because I wasn't like the biggest Wednesday warrior 
I was like someone who would go into a comic book shop and if I saw like four or five issues of one kind of story, I'd buy that. And then I would do that a lot. That's kind of how I always spent my cash in a comic book shop. So I have a lot of like stories over time, but I don't have like other than like Green Lantern and some a big chunk of Legion of Superheroes. I do not have like whole runs of anything. A lot of people have like their whole collection of every Batman from like issue 200 on and all that. I'm not that guy, but I've read a lot of the big stories, especially when trade paperbacks started getting popular. I was able to really get into more stuff that was harder to get hold of with just bet back issues and all that. Curious, can you think of a book you bought just because you read about it in Wizard? Like, was there a book that you took a chance on because Wizard was like, well, you got to check this out that it maybe would have been outside your general interest? Yeah, gosh. I think it was it was Mark Crilly, I believe. It was a Kiko. Yeah. Yeah, I think I got the name of that right. I couldn't remember the exact, but that one was one where someone had, I remember an article that talked about how that was like Star Wars meets like maybe Wizard of Oz or something like that. And the illustrations looked amazing. And I was getting more into black and white books at the time, like Bone and all that kind of thing. So I was much more open to those kind of, like I think when I was a little younger, I would have been like, oh, it's not in color or something like that. But a Kiko was, that's like, that came right to mind. That was one of those ones where they had a great review and I'm like, oh, I'll give that a try. And I Luckily, because I was right near, I'm right near Philadelphia, our comic book shops, most of the ones from my childhood still in existence and they are really great. So I was able to get things like that really fast where you're like, oh yeah, do you have any Akiko? And they're like, yeah, we have the whole thing. I'm like, that's fantastic. Give it to me. <laughs> so the, the last question I have is just, are you buying current books now or do you mostly just go in back issue bins and try to fill in gaps that you're hearing about old stuff? Yeah, mostly old stuff. I, I'll, I'll go back to things that I didn't get a chance to buy when I was younger and didn't have as much disposable income kind of thing. But I do kind of keep up with certain things here and there. Like every once in a while, I'll get the DC Universe app or whatever it's called. You know, like I'll sign back up for just a month for like the $7.99 or whatever. And I'll just catch up on some things that I've heard really good things about. Like right now, I'm in the middle of that Human Target series and uh, I'm enjoying it. But that kind of stuff where I just, if it's a maxi series of 12 issues or something, I'm like, oh, I can get a beginning, middle and end and pop in, pop out. But I do not keep track of the whole universe of DC and Marvel anymore. That's probably, I would say when I went off to college, college that kind of ended for the most part yeah okay cool yeah. but yeah so this is really fun i think because obviously wizard as time went on they were just doing more and more specials doug goldstein's in charge of these things it's just like crank them out doug get them out there the more issues we have the more money we make so michael why don't you tell us a little bit just about some of the details involved in this particular issue this batman special featured a cover illustrated by Phil Jimenez and came packed with a poster cataloging the many trophies housed in the Batcave, some of which I've actually built in my Lego Batcave around here as well, which is kind of funny that you can't see and it doesn't help for radio to me, me pointing <laughs> at it, but hey, besides that. Inside was the Batman for a New Millennium contest, where for designing a new Batman costume, readers could be entered to win three original sketches from Kelly Jones, Graham Nolan, and John Delaney, plus a bunch of signed comics. Finally, the back page of the issue was an Arkham Asylum application for acceptance of a new inmate with some hilarious boxes to check off. <laughs> I love when they would do that kind of stuff because I they, I remember in the JLA special they had like, you know, a, a sign-up sheet if you wanted to submit for membership, you know. But I just want to read one of them here because the, the first thing they have is patient is under suspicion of having 
killed people, injured people, kidnapped people, stolen money, built a giant flip shaped like an eggplant and attacked the city with exploding dog toys filled with shrinking gas as a diversion while his henchmen dressed like fish and broke into Gotham Bank looking for the eye of Neptune Emeralds. He was like, what? <laughs> I, I don't think that was uh, them coming up with nonsense. That has to be a Silver Age story, you know? But yeah, so here's the thing. I want to point out one more piece of this that really cracks me up is Wizard commissioned a hilarious two-page spread of Brian Douglas Ahern art where he drew famous cartoon duos in Batman-related costumes. Okay, so for example, there's Red and Stimpy as Bats and Stimpy. The South Park boys now wore tights and capes in Gotham Park. And the Waynesons, which is a real stretch, uh, found Homer dressed as Batman battling Mr. Burns as the Joker. So it's just fun. It's, it's it, I don't know if you guys took a look at any of those, if they jumped out at you, but I thought it was pretty creative. And it's all in the actual, like, cartooning style of each of those shows. It wasn't just, like, generic, you know? It's just like, no, it looks like it came off their character sheets. <laughs> this is the first I'm scrolling through this issue. <laughs> I dig the cover a lot. I really like this cover. I also do like that the first ad is for, did you read Batman Catechism? Oh yeah, we're going to talk about it tonight. And did you just say catechism? That's the old Catholic coming out, huh? <laughs> Batman goes to catechism. If you look at they give out as an instructional manual. Whatever. Give me a break. <laughs> oh, but hey, we got to get to know our histories with Batman. So I want to ask you guys, you know, Michael, you're such a huge fan. So I, I'm very curious to find out. But Lee, can you point to the first time you became aware of the Batman character? I can remember the first time he became a really big pop culture statement before me was just Batman 1989. Um, I remember ending up at the theater. I was five years old. My aunt decided that that was old enough to go to that movie, which I still can't believe. (laughs) I remember being at that theater and my cousin was was four years old at the time, was just asleep by the end of that movie. And I'm just like absolutely riveted. So I knew I loved the kid, but I knew about that. I had to have known about Batman before that. I just don't remember what like it was. It was probably either you know pajamas or something like a t-shirt or like a kid's book that had batman in it because it wasn't like i went into that movie not understanding who that character was but my memory starts at five and then goes from there and then batman the animated series is probably the definitive honestly the definitive take for the character in my mind even more than the comics in a lot of ways michael what about you so funny enough i've been re-watching both the animated series and the justice league cartoon Recently, I don't know. I just felt like I needed something to watch or rewatch. But for me, the first time I was really introduced to Batman was definitely like the Super Friends cartoon and the superpowers action figures, obviously, like without question. And then reruns of Batman 66. And then obviously like the definitive awakening, if you will, into Batman was Batman 89 for me in particular, because I was seven at the time. My mom literally picked me up from the finishing of second grade and we drove right to the theater. And as we got there, they handed us that catalog that had all the action figures and the different merchandise and whatnot. And I was flipping through it. And then I was like, mom, I need to order things from this catalog. (laughs) Okay. Those are my the the arc I would say that took me. 
Yeah, I, I gotta imagine those those Kenner superpower figures were big for a lot of people. I think for me, like the earliest memory I have is Batman and Scooby-Doo, where they had the Scooby-Doo mysteries and they would always have a celebrity on. And in one episode, it was Batman and Robin. They were in more than one episode. They've been a, they were in a couple oh, that's episodes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I have the VHS tape somewhere. Yeah, I have two copies of it. And yeah, <laughs> of course, of course I do. do. And so, but I think that was it because I was a huge Scooby-Doo fan as a kid. I had like this, you know, stitched Scooby-Doo that was like in a frame on my bedroom wall when I was little. So that was a big one for me. And then I remember at some point I had a color form set of Batman, you know, where you could put. Oh, I had the- one of those too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that was big. So there were a lot of like toys, but I also eventually during that time had a Batman cape. It was just like powder blue. I still have it to this day. I would wear it, but you know, Uh, (laughs) a little small now, (laughs) but, but it it was great. I used to just jump off the couch, you know, wearing my, cause I had a Superman and a Batman, but I think I wore out the Superman one and the Batman I kept like more precious. You know, (laughs) I, I remember as a kid, you know, probably as early as, you know, four or five years old, having that Batman or Superman Halloween costume with the mask you could barely see out of, the mm. costume that was like almost like vinyl and you couldn't move in it. I used to wear it all the time. I love that stuff. That was I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was just, he was a super marketed character. And like you say, the Batman 66 show was just on in reruns all the time. For us growing up, you know, in the 80s and, and that era, you know, we're definitely fighting it that way. But he'd been around so long. Other people found out about him a different way. So, Michael, why don't you give us a little bit of bat history here? The first time the world saw the Batman was in Detective Comics 27 in 1939, though for many decades, Bob Kane claimed sole credit for the creating of the hero at the request of DC editor Vincent Sullivan. It was Definitely a group effort. As Wizard explains, Kane's initial champion had a secret identity who wore a domino mask. And he was also blonde hair. Do you know that he had blonde hair? Um, He had a red costume and stiff bat wings. And Kane showed his concept to his frequent partner, Bill Finger, who suggested the cowl, a scalloped cape and gloves. Finger also named the character Bruce Wayne. Jerry Robinson was brought on to help Kane in the art chores while Finger wrote most of the early stories. It's mentioned in the issue that Kane eventually expressed regret over not naming Bill Finger as co-creator of Batman, which I didn't know that because I thought he, for a while he was a little bit of a egomaniac around it. I, I also think Bill Finger created Robin too. He must have. And I, I think this is like <laughs> as much as they knew at this time, right? Yeah. It's like how much, but you got to ask like, oh, you're feeling so guilty, Bob. Did you write Bill Finger a check? Like, did right. you ever share the profits? I don't yeah. feel that bad. Yeah, you know? yeah. It took, what, until 2016 for him to legitimately get credited on anything? Because mm-hmm. like, it was Batman v Superman when he finally had his name in a credit of a movie. So what do you think of the original, like, gun-toting version of the character that was created by this group early on? Lee, do you have an opinion on that one? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's... um. It's just part of the character now. It doesn't fit today, but that character just, it he morphs with time, like yeah. each era. And at that time, you got to think about the idea that you had the shadow and he had those two big guns and like all these mm. pulp heroes that obviously that was just something that that kind of storytelling involved. It's like the idea that you go out and try to fight crime in something like New York City just with your fists. I think a lot of readers would have just been like, what are you talking about? I mean, obviously like the shadow and all these other characters, they need to be armed. This isn't going to work. But then... 
through time, it makes sense that the character just changes with and probably more like Bill Finger's, you know, involvement in all the things we think of that actually are Batman yeah. Um, yeah. that he brought to the table. And, you know, yeah, you don't need to have that anymore. But yeah, at the time, I, like when I look back at those stories, I just go, OK, well, it's, you know, it's just a part of the character's evolution. For me, it's all about the purple gloves. I mean, why do you have to drop the purple gloves? Like those first pictures, like it's bizarre, like that the gloves don't fit with the rest of the costume at all. What I'm curious is that I don't really, it just popped in my head is like, when did he sort of evolve into like Batman having all these gadgets instead of having a firearm and, and a rope? Like he had, it's, I feel like it had to have been closer to the 50s where he started really getting into the gadget side of everything because the earlier stories are more pulp noir style and then it gets more campy as it hits, you know, closer to the 50s and so on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it feels like, you know, at a certain point, you can only do so much, you know, at, at street level with just the gun and then not the gun, then just your fist. So, yeah, you got to <laughs> gotta start using the fortune for a little something else to <laughs> help uh, level the playing field for you, though. But here's the thing. So the 1939 crew, they were the creators of the character. But at this point in history, Batman was just a year away from celebrating his 60th anniversary of publication. So there were a cavalcade of great writers and artists who had helped to shape the image the characteristics of Batman over the decades. And so wizard copy editor Andrew Carden was tasked with selecting the 10 best Batman stories of all time. I don't wow. think it was just him. I'm sure he had input from everybody. He just had to actually put it into the magazine. But this was a feature titled Night Gallery. And you got to think like this is not an easy task, especially because they actually in the intro, they calculate 64,000 387 total Batman stories existed at this point in time. I don't know how they calculated all that out, but I'm pretty sure they did the math uh, because they have another sidebar later that does all the math. How many times Batman punched somebody? How many times he drove a vehicle other than the Batmobile? Like, what, are they, they using abacus? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to take a look at these 10 and kind of give our thoughts, see where it leads us. Uh, so Lee, why don't you kick us off with the first one here? Sure. So number 10, My Beginning and My Probable End from Detective Comics 574 by Mike Barr and Alan Davis. In this story, Batman has a philosophical conversation with Dr. Leslie Tompkins after Jason Todd was shot by the Mad Hatter. According to Wizard, this story belongs in the list because it fills in some holes in Bruce Wayne's life, particularly regarding what happened immediately following his parents' murder through his college years and the moment he first donned the Bat costume. So do you all like having Batman's history exposed like this, or do you prefer to keep the mind of Bruce Wayne's shrouded in mystery. I think I like it more mysterious. Like, I don't need so much time spent with Bruce Wayne the human. I, I would say. I, I would, like, I think he doesn't ultimately connect with people anyway in the stories that I've read. Everybody's always like, ah, oh. You know, he's always putting me at arm's length, you know? And so I, I feel like, what do you really get out of it? You know, Dick doesn't like him because he's like, ah, he was, you know, a harsh father to me or whatever, you know? And Tim's like, oh, I'm just in awe. I'm lucky to be here. Oh, shucks. You know, it's just like, I don't know. The only thing you get is the occasional banter with Alfred. But wh what do you think, Michael? So I honestly think that, believe it or not, and this happens long after this issue happened, when Kevin Smith did his brief run on Batman, that that the widening gyre, I think it's called, there's, there's a section in that particular story where Batman has a library of all of his journals. 
in the bat cave and his girlfriend at the time or whatever i forget what her name is i'm blanking off the top of my head but she finds the books and she starts reading all of them and we don't see what she's reading but we but she gets a window into who batman is in her mind or who bruce wayne is in particular and i found that the most interesting where it's a little bit obscure but like there's glimpses of like there's like something deep down underneath like that he doesn't even expose to the world kind of stuff that's what i like Okay, what about you, Lee? What's your preference? I do like having a little bit of his history exposed because I do like the Bat Family and I do like Batman the Animated Series being such a big part of how I see the character. In that show, Bruce Wayne is pretty human. Like, he's definitely obsessed and driven, but he's not someone who is... Like, some of the Legends of the Dark Knight tales and all that stuff, you can get into some really dark Batman, and especially, like, Elseworlds and all that stuff, which we'll get to. But, like, in animated series and all the, the, the comics that were revolving around that, he was a little more, you know, actually a father figure to Dick Grayson, actually cared a lot about alfred and he had like a background like if you watch mask of the phantasm he has a love life oh the mask of the phantasm so i like those parts i mean i want batman to be in the at the end of the day at the end of mask of the phantasm at the end of all those episodes it's definitely still batman's the driving force in his life but i like that there are some other you see sacrifices he's made to do this that he that it has affected relationships but also provided um the fact that robin's in his life that he's mentored someone that you know it's not just all one thing for him but but if i have to just sit down and read something i do like to like a lot of the my favorite stories are the ones that are pretty much just him doing his thing he never even gets out of the mask kind of thing yeah. but if i'm like if i want a monthly comic I do occasionally want to get into the background of him a little bit. Speaking a little bit of the animated series, and we'll get back to the list in a second, but there's a couple of episodes that are really Bruce Wayne centered in particular. And there is the one where the Mad Hatter kidnaps him and he has that like fantasy life yeah. and and like how his life without Batman, it feels wrong. That's one of the strongest episodes of the series, I think, as well mm-hmm. as do you remember the one where he faces Kyodai Ken, the ninja, and like we, we see him as a young man, and we sort of like learn him as his training in martial arts and stuff like that, and like his his sort of drive to be the best at whatever. I found those episodes very interesting of Bruce Wayne stories as well. Yeah, and I, I would add to that the Two Face episodes, like from yeah. the first season, because oh, yeah. you really see like the friendship he and Harvey had. He felt human in that for sure. I I, I want to mention I did read all of these issues that they mention here, and this one in particular is like essential. They're putting it on the list. It's a great primer, like for anybody's like I don't know about Batman, you know, like you give him this, and it just kind of it hits all the points, but in like a real thoughtful way. And so I I just think I think it's a fantastic piece. But Michael, why don't you take us? to the next one sure also i didn't know that jason todd was shot before he was killed (laughs) they really wanted to get rid of him as fast as possible so number nine is batman black and white issues one through four featuring art and stories by the likes of neil gaiman howard chaikin walt simonson jim lee alex ross and many more why was this relatively new anthology series worthy of top 10 according to wizard batman doesn't exist he's a myth a nightmare an urban legend at least that's how he works best perhaps that's why he stood the test of time the way he's allowed so many creators to depict him differently throughout the years that's fair i I would get that 
I also like the black white stories. They're very cool. Especially the early ones are very, very good. But do you guys agree that what works best about Batman is that he's allowed to be viewed as sort of an archetype through different lenses? Or do you prefer him as a very tight, linear, this is Batman continuity story? I mean, Lee, with the animated series, you know, we keep going back to that because it was so definitive. But, you know, there's like the almost got him episode, right? Where everybody's mm-hmm. kind of giving their version of Batman. But yeah, so I, I feel like there there is a power in him just being interpreted by so many different people. But at the end of the day, like for me personally, it's like, while I don't need the ins and outs of Bruce Wayne's life, I do want like the Gotham history. I do want, you know, the, the people in his life, the supporting cast, the other heroes to like actually have something that went on. Like I want Robin to have grown up to become Nightwing. You know, I want Jason Todd to have died. So he feels guilt and that motivates certain actions in the future. Like I, I don't think if Batman only ever existed in one shots or Elseworld tales or whatever, that it would be as valuable, which is kind of what these are. Like, I, you know, I, like I said, I read through these issues and I was just like, these are impactful stories, but half of them could be anybody. You're just putting the Batman figure into this story. You know, they don't feel like they're essential to to what he does. But what do you, what do you guys think overall? I like some consistency with the continuity, but only within the errors. I really enjoyed that article at the very end of the special that dealt with breaking down the different eras and like talking about whether it's sci-fi Batman or then like the Denny O'Neill Batman and all that stuff. And while I think a few things, like maybe you have like a top 10 list as the editor or whatever of all this, and you, you say, like you said, like Nightwing is Robin, was Robin, and you, and Alfred is the butler, and you know, and, and his parents were shot in front of him, and then that made him become Batman and all this. But only a few things. The rest of it, I like when it changes with time, with culture, with tastes. And then, but within that time frame, like if you're, you know, if it's the Denny O'Neill era, I like the fact that for about like seven to ten years... It was pretty consistent that the continuity is pretty tight. And then obviously you get into the early 80s and you realize as the creators of this, you need to let some things fall away. And then, but not the main things, not the things that you know are just have become essential to character, but you keep the continuity in the time frames and then you you move on as tastes change. Going along with the errors in the time frame and keeping it somewhat linear, the thing that I dislike that a lot of creators do with Batman, especially nowadays, is make the universe revolve around Batman. I don't like that. I really don't like it. Listen, I love Scott Snyder. I've you know met him a bunch of times. He's a great writer. But like all of the Dark Knights medals, and now they're having like Night Terrors stories, and they're all <laughs> Batman centric. They're all spelled you know K N. You know, I'm like. Batman is just a man like if anything the universe would revolve around Superman because he is the closest thing to a godlike figure that that stuff I really don't like I also like it when he's like never been photographed kind of Batman like he's never been in the public eye kind of thing like I don't like seeing him standing with the Justice League I like it how in the animated series he's like yeah I'll show up on occasionally now and then that's the Batman I like this I don't want him standing there like I'm Batman here no no Batman wouldn't be photographed I'm sorry <laughs> All right, well, let's get to number eight here, which is The Rat Catcher from Detective Comics number 585 to 586, which I'm almost certain that uh, James Gunn was reading at some point, and then he decided to put Rat Catcher's daughter in the Suicide Squad. But uh, this was by Alan Grant, John Wagner, and Norm Brayfogle. And if you don't know, it's about a gas mask wearing villain who commands an army of rats using his high-pitched whistle, and he's uh, trapped a bunch of people 
people down in the sewers that he feels wronged him. Now, the story qualified for the list due to the fact that it, quote, examines an interesting aspect of the Dark Knight, his ability to adapt. Taking on a swarm of killer rats under someone's control is far from Batman's standard practice. These issues also show him making mistakes on more than one occasion, making the Batman much more realistic. So here's the thing. You're just mentioning the JLA there. And so I feel like since the Morrison era, a lot of fans perceive Batman as the infallible. He's always one step ahead. Everyone, he can defeat Darkseid because he's so clever. Like he's the ultimate hero in that way. But do you identify with that version of the character who's just so brilliant? Or do you need like a more human grounded interpretation of the character? Do you like him making mistakes and then having to deal with that? I like him as the um, problem, the problem solver, the detective. I don't need him to be as smart as Mr. Terrific per se. Like I just need him to be the problem solver. Like that figures things out. He take, he's not, he's not the smartest, but he'll figure things out. Ridiculously. Yeah. My opinion of that changed over time. Like when I was younger, like in the late nineties reading JLA, I loved that he seemed like he was completely infallible and that you know he could do no wrong but um as i got older i enjoyed stories where it, he made mistakes that he could be beaten and all that stuff and it kind of went from like you went from this john wayne to a john mcclain kind of thing like you definitely i didn't want that anymore but when you're younger you do you kind of or at least that i think that's part especially for kids that's part of you know the the fantasy of these things so you're you know you're living through the character and uh as you don't age out, if you stick with comics long enough, you start to just kind of go, no, the stories I want to become more complicated. And if the character gets more complicated, they become much more susceptible to failure and to mistakes and all that stuff. And you want that and you want to see them come back from it because it actually is more heroic or you realize that as you get older, coming back from mistakes is way harder. So um, yeah, no, uh, it worked in the nineties. I, I got real tired of perfect Batman, I will say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, I, I like him to make mistakes, but I don't want him to be completely deconstructed. I don't want people to say, oh, he's so messed up psychologically. He's so compelled to do this. He can't help himself, so he can't have relationships. Like, that's where I think it goes too far. It's like he's a psycho in a cape. You know, like the, it, it kind of gets to that point, like especially – Personally, that's how I feel Frank Miller interprets the character is like he is out of his mind. Yeah, he's a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like it's and I don't like that take at all. I like the guy. He's like he is using it to deal with his trauma. But I do like to believe that he's mostly gotten to a point where he's like, I'm level but I realize the good I can do with this now mm -hmm. and I'm going to make mistakes and I'll learn from that mistake and I'll just be better next time and I'll plan differently. And that, that will lead to my figuring things out, but I don't just automatically anticipate every scenario every time, you know, mm -hmm. like that, that doesn't work for me. So I'll take number seven if you want. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the long Halloween, which I feel is the most reference or pulled from comic book when it comes to live action this side of killing joke uh are probably like one of the most definitive comics by jeff Loeb and tim sale was a 13 issue limited series that really needs no explanation it ha it's it, it has become an undeniable classic in batman history there's no denying that it belongs on the list 
of in terms of solid storytelling. At the same time, it kind of feels more like a Harvey Dent or a Gotham City story than a Batman story. Uh, case in point, Wizard says, first it shows Gotham's passing the torch from mob rule to the rise of the supervillain freaks like the Joker. Secondly, it fleshes out Harvey Dent's transformation into hard-ass DA uh, to psycho villain Two-Face. And finally, it explores the relationship between Batman and Jim Gordon, Harvey Dent, and Catwoman. How much detective versus how much superhero do you want in your Batman stories? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, for me, I like more detective and less super, like superhero. Because I don't look mm-hmm. at him as a superhero. I look at him at as a guy. Like, again, Spider-Man, Superman, those are superheroes. Batman is a guy. Like, he's a, he's John McClane, you know, mm-hmm. like you said. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, but when you look at it, it does feel like, you know, in this particular story, it's very detective, right? It's very like, we're trying to sort this out. We're trying to figure out the mystery of who the holiday killer is and all of that. But yeah, like, I don't need batman to have every gadget i don't need the bat cave to be stocked with everything for every scenario where it's like oh you know or he can put on this armor or this you know extra thing for each battle like i really do kind of in a lot of ways like you're saying with john mcclain like a little bit of an underdog batman it's like he's gonna figure it out but it's gonna be a rough go for most of the most of the adventure and so yeah i never think like you're saying michael of batman as superhero i think of him as a masked vigilante but the super never enters into it for me yeah i'm completely in agreement with both of you except for when he's in a team book when he's in like jla i want him to kind of level up just it seems like otherwise it's a little out of place i mean you know when when you're dealing with like for example i think of the first uh jla the one with um like the white martians and batman was the one who eventually figured i think he's the one who figured it out first and of course he did but like you know he the idea that he can take on a bunch of basically martian manhunters mm-hmm. he needs to level up but just during those series in in terms of detective comics written by like you know chuck dixon or you have a doug Monch or something i want those guys to write detective stories and then when you get over to jla it's like look this is just the reality of dc comics he's going to be in other books and Mm -hmm. when he's not in his own book i understand them having to level him up a little bit to kind of make his place in the team you know make sense similarly to like wolverine in marvel where it's like when he's when he's he's with you know the fantastic four he's with the avengers he's always like a little bit different than when he's just like rooting wolverine (laughs) yeah all right what's next lee Number six, Batman and Dracula Red Rain by Doug Monch and Kelly Jones is an Elseworlds tale where Batman gets turned by a vampire woman to help in the fight against Dracula. How can it be an all-timer if it's an imaginary tale? Says Wizard, dark, brooding, gothic, legendary. Are we talking about Batman or Dracula? Doesn't matter because Red Rain pits the two tragic characters against one another in a beautifully dismal gothic setting. What is everyone's favorite Elseworlds Batman story? There's a lot of interesting ones. Even in this issue, they mentioned there's one where he gets abducted by aliens. It's like very X-Files, like Batman X-Files. Like So like they, they just put him in so many scenarios. Um, I do think, and we've covered it on the show, Michael, but speeding bullets 
to me it, it it's got little twists in it and it just like surprises you and it's it's very clever in how it plays out like it actually in a lot of ways it kind of tricked me the way I, i'm sure everybody saw it but i didn't with you know the origin the wolverine story mm-hmm. like bruce wayne is they fighting those criminals that invade the mansion and then it, his powers come out you know and it's just like oh okay that's cool like i didn't see that twist so i i mean i would have to go speeding bullets for me Speeding Bullets, though it may be my favorite, I think the best Elseworlds story is Gotham by Gaslight. I love that take. I love the idea of like him against serial killers like Jack the Ripper. I'm like, I just think that's fascinating. And it just makes so much sense. Well, I you thought know. that should have been here instead of this one. This one doesn't feel as big a deal. Although I think they did made it into a trilogy. They did like three of these stories. Yeah. It the, was a big deal. Like, it was a big uh, deal. And he, he evolves to be even more like vampire-ish as it, as it goes um, further along. I do like the character design with the giant ears in this case. I don't know why. I just... I kind of dig it. Yeah, Kelly Jones was an acquired taste for me. At first, I wasn't really into his stuff, but as I got older, it was sort of like Jack Kirby. Like, when you're younger, it all depends. Sometimes you look at it and go, what is this? And then you kind of understand why it was a big deal to everybody. Too many ribs. He he adds, like, three or four extra ribs. (laughs) (laughs) So the next one, number five, is an iconic story, and it's referenced all the time, and he will talk about it as one of the best Batman stories, and it's really not even truly a Batman story as much as it is a a Joker and Harley Quinn story and that's Mad Love which is a classic tale that kind of spins out of the Batman adventures by Paul Dini and Bruce Timm which was truly legitimized the Harley Quinn character as a complex and viable character in the comics because she was one of the very first characters of comics that wasn't created in the books was created for the show and was so popular was folded into the comics and now it's probably in the top five or ten comic book characters in the world you know it's a it's a huge character and a huge story i mean you make a good point that yeah it's not a batman story so they're saying the top 10 batman stories does it really should it be here you know yeah it's not really a batman story now who do you think is a bigger character in pop culture nowadays harley quinn or the joker i mean like look in 89, Jack Nicholson makes the Joker a big deal. Then we get the Dark Knight, and he's kind of redefined in a big deal again. I, I think it's kind of mixed on the Joaquin Phoenix. I love it, but it's not. I, like I love it, but Joker. it's, yeah. So, so it's just like, but I, I just feel like the iconography of the Joker, I think it's dwarfed by Harley Quinn now. I think if you look at the Harley Quinn design, people, anybody sees that and goes, oh, Harley Quinn, oh, Harley Quinn, you know, even though she didn't even originate that look, you know, that's like the, you know, there, there's a whole subculture, you know, mm-hmm. around that they just adopted it. But, but I, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, the modern day Suicide Squad version played by Margot Robbie is is bigger than the Joker character in this moment of the last five years, I would say. Yeah, especially for comic book fans or people that are kind of initiated into the pop culture world a lot, which is most people for sure. But I mean, the Joker, I mean, think about the history of that character in regards like you have people that I mean, for example, my parents, my, you know, all the baby boomer generation, all that stuff. Batman 66, they know the Joker. If they never continued on with comics, they still understand that character. Then you also have like, what, two people won the Oscar playing that character. You know, it's just like, it's a thing. And and one of them wasn't that long ago. I mean, so it's like, yeah, I think Harley Quinn's definitely big. If you go to a comic book convention, way bigger now. I think like you're 100% right on like the, the, the costumes, the interest the, level, all that the stuff. The cosplayers, yeah. 
Yeah, sure. but if you like were just to go into like a rent, like you know, if you were on jury duty and you went around the table of your average, like the people in your neighborhood or whatever, I think most would obviously know because of like Margot Robbie. But I, I everyone would be like, yeah, I know who the Joker is, of course. Like you know that kind. Yeah. You might actually have one or two people who go. I don't really like movies that much. Uh, what is this? What are you talking about? Like, I kind of, yeah. Every once in a while, you might run to somebody, but she's definitely, like, in 20 years, though, that might change. Especially yeah. if you move on to one more person. Like, if Margot Robbie isn't the last person to play her, and it's like, or, and she won't be, but, like, in terms of who... Well, Lady Gaga's playing also, her in the next show. Oh, yeah, Lady Gaga, yeah. exactly. That's yeah. huge. Like, and Lady Gaga is just, like, a whole... exact. That's the path, like, that the next... You get a couple more people that are just like that well, represents the other secret though is again because joaquin phoenix joker isn't a hundred percent like comic book joker but mm. harley quinn has had this animated series for so long yeah. and started with mad love where she gets taken out and she's like an individual that you relate mm. to that you have sympathy for that you find entertaining whatever it is the joker is always aloof and, and, and you know scary like you're you mm-hmm. don't, you don't really root for the joker i know michael like probably in this like what is it the white knight storyline or something Did you- oh it's fantastic so changed a little it's, bit but <laughs> but it's but it's like it's it's essentially an elseworld story yeah. so it's sort of like you know obscure in its references but you know the thing is you know i, I do think you know when you go to comic cons or whatever you see a bazillion harley quinns yeah. but if if i showed anybody a picture of heath ledger as the joker they would know what it is in a second like with the, without even thinking twice, maybe even more so than showing them Jack Nicholson. I think. I think yeah, I think um, that's a good point. Yeah, you know, people are talking about the next Batman movie, and I'm really hoping they don't put the Joker in it. Like, let the let the Joker lie for a little bit. There's so many other characters in the Rogues Gallery of Batman that they could literally grab anybody else at this point. Hey geeks, it's time to take a break from this episode to tell you about our sponsor, HalloweenCostumes.com, and the great selection of comic book costumes available. Plus, we're going to tell you how you can get 15% off your entire order by using the link in our show notes. I was browsing their site today, and I found their 90s Jim Lee X-Men costumes for Rogue, Cyclops, Wolverine, even Dark Phoenix, and the less evil green look for Jean Grey Phoenix. Uh, If you're more of a Garth Ennis fan, they've got Homelander and Starlight from the boys or multiple versions of the punisher how about taking a jump into the spider verse as miles morales spider gwen agent venom or spider rex it's true kids or adults can be a radioactive spider dinosaur this year on the dc side there's classic batman in the light blue and gray or the complete lineup of teen titans shazam an amazing yvonne craig batgirl 66 costume and so much more plus they've got all the accessories you need to make your costume as authentic as you desire of course all the other areas of pop culture from movies to classic tv and cartoons are all represented at halloweencostumes.com so just take a look at our show notes for this episode and follow the link today to get 15 percent off your entire order between now and october 31st happy haunting geeks All right, this next one here, Blades, was a three-parter uh, in Legends of the Dark Knight by James Robinson and Tim Sale. A lot of Tim Sale on this list. Uh, this one tells the story of Batman hunting down a new serial killer called Mr. Lime, but he's also finding himself dealing with a popular new vigilante called the Cavalier, who actually has a dark secret himself. He's done some shady things in the name of love. But the tale made the list, according to Wizard, because, quote, it showcases the Dark Knight's superior 
superior detective skills, as well as his most stubborn drive. It's also quite interesting to see how the Cape Crusader handles sharing his city with another costumed hero. I read this. It's really interesting. It's kind of like Batman's obsessed with solving the serial killer thing. And he's just like, okay, Cavalier, you be the hero of Gotham now. I don't care. All I care about is catching this guy who's killed all these people. And then when he finally solves it, then he has to go check in on this guy. He's like, oh, you've been up, up to no good. <laughs> like you, you're helping people, but then you were doing your own thing for your own gain. And that did not work out. So uh, it's a really interesting story. I think, again, I don't know if it's the best. Like, did you guys you talk about Legends of the Dark Knight earlier? You know, like where it could got to get dark or be very off on its own. But what do you guys think? Why would this be on the list and not death in the family? Yeah. There are a lot of other stories. There are other legends of the Dark Knight stories I would have put on before this. And I did read it this week as well, Adam, just because I saw the list and I was like, I think I only picked about two or three of these where I was like, oh, I really should check that out. I hadn't gotten around to it yet. And that was one because it doesn't make much sense on this list in a weird way. But the reason I picked it up was because James Robinson wrote it and Tim Sale drew it. And it's like they would become an all-star team later on that decade. At the time, they were still cutting their teeth. And you kind of feel that. I mean, there were some things like the whole love story aspect aspect where he's just like all of a sudden he falls in love with that woman and he'll do anything for her and you're just sort of like what is this story where where is this guy maybe it was because it was only three issues or something i think he needed another issue or two something like that i don't know maybe so i i just i don't understand why this and mad lover on the list but like i said there's no death in the family there's no bane batman breaking his back story mm-hmm. like you know there's no denny o'neill stories on here there's no neil adams i'm like i'm a little yeah. confused well, by I that mean, wizard definitely had its preferences and its biases and i think at this time especially because the long halloween was so big i think they just said what's another tim sale story we got to put that on here because everything he touches with batman is gold and that just happened you know but why don't you take us into this next one here michael at number three we're at batman year one by frank miller and dave i always mess up his last name uh kelly or mazzicelli i don't know Ma- mazzicelli i think Mazzicelli. Yeah, sure. He's Italian. Sure. Um, <laughs> if you've never read it, it's basically the story of young Batman trying to get his footing as a vigilante. Aside from some unforgettable imagery of Batman, it does feel like the most relatable and interesting character in this story is Jim Gordon trying to acclimate to his assignment in Gotham while surviving the corruption of the police department. So the funny thing about this particular story is a lot of the movies you see nowadays are based off of year one. They all pull references from this all the time. Let me ask you a question, guys. How essential is Jim Gordon to the Batman mythos? Like, yeah, like if he was never in the universe, would Batman still be able to function? Yes. But I think what you need is someone to legitimize Batman. Now, it was kind of goofy in the 50s and 60s where he's like appearing, you know, at ribbon cuttings for new buildings in the city and Commissioner Gordon's like, oh, we love that Batman, you know, that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like this guy that's going around interfering in police business, if the police commissioner thinks he's actually helping, then I think that goes a long way for people accepting Batman, like even a reader, you know, because like it's cool, but at a certain point you're going to say, he probably shouldn't be doing that though. But Jim Gordon's like, no, he's got the skills and we need him. So I I feel like he could still be out there doing his thing, but without that, you'd be eventually second guessing Batman. But what do you guys think? Yeah, I think you're right on Adam. In terms of it's to show the limitations of the police in this world of Gotham City and then make Batman need it. 
because if you just you, you have to show the cops going this is too much for us to handle and then you throw batman at the problem otherwise you're really you know, i think you didn't need that as much maybe in the 50s and 60s but eventually as the readership got older and stuff and you start thinking more about this and all that and this vigilante and yeah you need to legitimize the character in the eyes of the people and all that stuff so yeah i completely agree on my biggest gripes that i have aside from Batman and Robin, the movie, in those first four movies, they just never utilized Jim Gordon to any extent whatsoever. Like, they don't know what to do with him in those movies. And I think it's a big disservice, whereas they really figured out how to pay that off in the Dark Knight trilogy and in the Batman of having this sort of kind of like simpatico relationship between the two of them in a way, you know? I especially liked it, it, you know, what they were doing in the Batman. Like, I think- whole thing like where they're he's kind of giving him an out and he's doing different things like i think that's fantastic actually bringing him in on the investigations like yeah that was cool all right what's next lee yeah number two the killing joke by alan moore and brian boland exploring a possible origin for the joker before he donned the persona of the red hood Moore actually creates some level of sympathy for the clown prince of crime in the flashback segments meanwhile in the present day story he lays out one of the joker's most twisted acts ever shooting barbara gordon through the spine and paralyzing her then sending the pictures to her father commissioner gordon it definitely feels essential in that the events of the story inspire barbara's transformation from batgirl to oracle a heroic role where she makes an even bigger impact all across the DC universe. Do you all have a preference for Batgirl or Oracle stories? I'm curious, Michael, because I know you love Batgirl. So what do you think? I mean, I do like the character of Oracle and especially like how they use her with Birds of Prey. But if you haven't read the Gail Simone run of Batgirl in the New 52, you're missing out because that is some of the best storytelling I've seen in 20 years. It's amazing. I prefer Barbara Gordon as Batgirl, personally. Hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll concur in that I really, one of my favorite just books ever, you know, series ever, was Batgirl Year One. I love everything about that. And so I, I think that's like a fantastic version of her. But I personally feel like Oracle is a much stronger character there's much more you do with that character because we already have a batman we already have a huntress we already have all these other gotham heroes and capes and tights and i feel like to give her that unique role she's doing what nobody else can she knows what nobody else knows she helps in ways that nobody else does i just think oracle is like just a fantastic transition for that character yeah, so many of my favorite issues from the 90s have Oracle as like a, a central piece of it. Um, and I love her relationship with Nightwing. And uh, yeah, I just, um, it has a lot, a lot to do with when I was introduced to the character. I mean, I really didn't know Barbara Gordon before The Killing Joke, you know, as, a, as someone buying comic books. So um, yeah, that's still how I think of her. And I think she's a, she's a great character, represents a lot of great things. All right. Well, getting to number one on the list. You knew it had to happen. It's just how it goes. The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. Of course, it tells the story of a retired Bruce Wayne donning the cape and cowl once again, causing many of his old foes to reemerge as well. And as Wizard explains, quote, The Dark Knight Returns changed the very nature of Batman in the comics, movies, and eventually the animated series. So... That impact is undeniable. That is true. That is just what happened when that came out. I am so curious, though, what do you think has made that story resonate for so long to where it continues to be held up, you know, right there next to Watchmen and everything else? They they were coming out concurrently and people just say, and this is Batman. And in pop culture, people are like, oh, this is when Batman got cool, which 
I don't know if I agree with, because if you go back and read the Danny O'Neill era, it was getting dark. It was getting violent. It was getting intense. And then Frank Miller just amped it up and like took it again, like we said, to psycho levels where Batman's just like, okay, he's he's, he's just taking it too far, I feel, in the Dark Knight. But what do you guys think about the story? You're absolutely right about Danny O'Neill and um, those stories getting darker. So why was it that this was the, you know, the thing that everyone points to as being sort of Batman becoming more mature um, or, you know, being written for a more mature audience? But I mean, I guess maybe part of it is uh, comic book shops. You do add in Watchmen. I think it like it was sort of like the audience was primed for something because they had just come off of a year of Watchmen. So they're like, okay what's next and then you know marketing and all these things i mean they factor in and then things like time magazine and rolling stone or whoever like these big publications get a hold of something and also i think the culture changed in terms of what was being written about and how it was being written about like these lists we did especially towards the end of the 20th century where it was like these are the top 100 books and novels and you see watchmen pop on there and then you get the top 10 graphic novels and both of that and batman dark knight return so i just think there's a lot of context as to why uh, by the mid 80s even though there were other mature batman stories this one took on a whole new life also it was a four issue limited series and that means that people have access to that in a different way. Like you, you don't get scared of the continuity. Going back and reading a bunch of Denny O'Neill stories, that's tough for a lot of people, but you can tell somebody in like a college class or something that's doing graphic novels or something like that. Hey, here's a few. We're going to read these things here and here's Dark Knight Returns. And it won't scare a lot of people away because they kind of understand the archetype of Batman, which we've talked about. And then they can just read these four issues, which are very self-contained in a lot of ways. Do I think it, is as definitive as it once was no i do think that you know the covers for the each individual issues are are very iconic especially the first issue in particular with that lightning bolt it just it's it's very iconic it stands out and you know i just i feel like it hasn't aged as well especially because they did so many sequels since then like if they had just left it alone like just told this story great we don't need strikes again we don't need you know new world order and all these other ones that he's done over the last several years if they just left this alone that would have made it hold higher rank for me than something like long halloween or killing joke but because there's been so many sequels that just kind of deteriorate it it just doesn't hold up for me as much yeah i feel like it is of its time it's so 80s like it's right reagan era 80s like that's what mm-hmm. it is ronald reagan is in the book you know what i'm saying like no. like so i don't i don't think it should be relatable now but on some level it is or the people that are the you know the torchbearers for to say oh it's great but like nothing in it is really recognizable as batman like if you were saying it's number one and you gave this to somebody this is not batman this is not no. generally what Batman ever was. This is Frank Miller's weird interpretation of Batman as an old man. And so like it it doesn't it doesn't really give you the gist, you know, of of what Batman should be about and that's what I would think would need to be something in the number 1 slot, not the darkest, coolest Batman story because that's not what the list was. This was the best. And don't and don't even get the die-hard Superman fans started. That is not Superman at all. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'll, I'll just throw this out there. If there's any other stories that you feel like, because we kind of already mentioned, you know, uh, death in the family and stuff like that. But is there anything else, you know, pre-1998, because this is the what they had to work with, that you feel should be in there? Something that you're aware of or that you've read that you're like, well, 
I mean, this arc, this this would have been one of the best ever. This book, Greatest Joker Stories Ever Told, the expanded edition. I had this when I was probably 12 years old, and I think it was published in the late 80s, and probably to coincide with the movie. And I read every story in here a million times. And the one that I'll always remember is The Laughing Fish and the Sign of the Joker. Oh, The Laughing Fish, yes. Steve Englehart, Marshall Rogers, and Terry Austin actually did the inks, which um, when I hadn't looked back at that until recently, I was like, wow, Terry Austin did the inks on this. That's awesome. Um, and it explains why it looks so amazing. It's such a good story. Silver St. Cloud, all these characters and everything like that. So I love And also that turned into a great episode of the animated series. So sure I really, yeah. that was a story that I was like, I don't know if it belongs on the top 10, but it was a personal favorite of mine. I mean, I would agree because the, you know, the eighties edition of that collection, the original one was like the Brian Boland cover with the laughing fish on it, you know? So yeah. like hundred percent, they thought it was worthy of making that something that people would pay attention to. So yeah, that, that does feel like a good one. I also think, you know, it's not necessarily an arc, but Batman number one, from 1940 is the debut of the Joker, Catwoman, and Robin in one <laughs> issue. Like, that's huge. <laughs> that's three of the biggest influences in the character throughout history in one issue. Yeah. Well, let's get it uh, away from that list now. And let's get into real quickly. Uh, there's an interview with Denny O'Neill here. They've interviewed him many times in the magazine. We've covered it. But this one's called Night Watchman. And obviously, they're talking about his decades long history writing and editing Batman. So a lot of people would consider him the authority on the character. So it's interesting what he's asked. Who's the real man, Batman or Bruce Wayne? His answer is, quote, our take is that Batman's real and Bruce is the mask. When Mr. and Mrs. Wayne were shot, Bruce Wayne died. Although he didn't come to full maturity for 15 years or so, at that moment, Batman was born. Now, also, O'Neill's take on Batman's future, I feel, is somewhat prophetic. Quote, he will stop when he's about 40. He'll realize I've lost a step. I can only jump 16 feet instead of 18 feet. I can't do this anymore, but I've still got a genius IQ and more money than God. There's still a lot I could do using the basic bad equipment. I'll just subcontract the cape, cowl, and rooftop activity, and I'll fight crime as a consultant or as a guy who starts a foundation. And that's kind of the premise for a lot of stories, right? Like that was explored somewhat already, you know, at this time with Azrael taking over in Nightfall or, you know, the future in Batman Beyond. That's what he's or doing. King, Kingdom Come. He's basically yeah. running the, those bat droids that are flying all over the place kind of thing. And I was going to ask you too, because uh, the Batman Incorporated storyline is kind of that, right? He's like, well, I can't be around the world, but I could get all the other bat type, you know, vigilantes together that they could do it. And of course, even like these days, like you're talking about the bat family, he has so many protégés essentially that he trades and sends out there. So for such a loner, he loves... <laughs> recruiting young kids <laughs> telling everyone a secret identity yeah yes. do you guys like that idea though of, of bruce wayne franchising out batman does that would that make sense for you if he stepped away and he's just like i'll be there but like let there be a terry mcginnis let there be somebody else or does it have to be bruce no for me the way the natural progression of things should have gone is at some point batman can't do it Dick Grayson becomes Batman, and if he can't do it, Tim Drake becomes Batman, and then eventually the non-genetic clone Terry McGinnis becomes <laughs> becomes Batman. That's how I look at it. You know, I don't like this Iron Man esque like 
I can be everywhere kind of character. He shouldn't have to be everywhere. The Batman Beyond thing I liked enough because Batman's so old that he's like, I'm done, I'm completely done. And you can have a new character. But if Bruce is like still around, then even in his 40s, I'm sorry, if Tom Brady can play Super Bowls in his 40s, you this is way too young. Come on. Like uh, Tom Cruise just jumped off a mountain I on a know. motorcycle. <laughs> Batman's the peak of physical human achievement. He seems to be able to go to at least like 55, like something like that. So like if Bruce is around and viable, I don't want a huge franchise. I want Bruce just to be Batman. And then, yeah, when you get him to be like 85 and he has like Terry McGinnis here. Okay, that's fine. I'm good. I guess I would say I like the Dark Knight Rises ending. Can Bruce Wayne mm. just have a life? Can he find the person he trusts and then he can get on with it and, you know, he'll finance it. He'll do whatever if he thinks it makes a difference. But don't make him fight the battle forever unless that's the only thing that fulfills him. But that's kind of like the progression. You know, Alfred wants him to have something else. I, I kind of hope that for him too. But the problem uh, with the Dark Knight Rises is, well, I mean, there's a lot of problems with that, but like he leaves <laughs> it to some kid that he has no training at That's least the main he, problem with that yes he, he yeah. like he's like here you go good luck don't die i'll be in italy <laughs> in- <laughs> okay i want to mention yeah. here though because uh, denny o'neill seems to always have an iron in the fire he was always got a story brewing he talks about a batman novel he said i had an idea for one maybe narrated by dick grayson i've had that idea for maybe 20 years a watson holmes kind of thing if you ever did that i'd love to read it because i think that'd be fascinating like a batman story from dick's point of view i'm sure in a comic form that's been written many times but o'neill's also asked to rank the batman rogues gallery in a sidebar we're not going to get into all of it but he offers his fascinating take on ra's al ghul he says quote that's my special baby because i created him i admire him more than i admire batman i think he's right and batman's wrong about the environment i think ra's is wrong in the means he uses to achieve the end so i I was like wow he respects this character more than batman that's fascinating then finally when asked in a sidebar profile to reveal the coolest thing about batman only i know the batman group editor declares quote he doesn't wear boxer shorts (laughs) they would look a little strange in the tights that's for sure bunch up for sure without a doubt So our next segment is 50 Batman questions you've always wanted answers, but were afraid to ask. Gets into very fun and fascinating territory when it comes to bat trivia. Some of the answers might surprise you, like this first one. Why does Batman have a yellow oval on his chest symbol? Which I know this is basically before he could bulletproof the cowl. It was so when he revealed from the shadows, that was the first thing they would see and they'd shoot at his chest because his chest was bulletproofed. Am I right? You are right. But what's more fascinating, this is what I wanted to point out, is they mentioned in the real publishing world of Batman, Denny O'Neill reveals, quote, back in the 60s, just before the Batman TV show started, DC found that a silhouette of a bat was not trademarkable, but a bat with a yellow oval around it is. Really? That's the real reason Dude. that exists. Isn't that crazy? Wow, that's weird. Interesting. For the hotly debated question of what is Bruce Wayne's favorite type of tea, Wizard consulted British writer Alan Grant, who names a Chinese tea called Lapsang. Suchong. According to Grant, Bruce didn't acquire a taste for it by traveling the East. He picked it up during his time in Europe where it's very popular. And I hope I didn't completely butcher that. I probably did. And I apologize. <laughs> see, see, I would feel like Albert would force Earl Grey on him. That seems like it would. <laughs> He's probably sick of it. That's why he wanted to find something else. Yeah. I like uh, a little ginseng tea. I don't know. <laughs> 
All right. Now, the origin of an iconic piece of Bat Universe equipment is inquired about with the question, who made the Bat Signal? Well, according to Batman editor Scott Peterson, it had never been revealed in current continuity at that time. I would love to know if by now that has been revealed in some major story. Do you know about it? Yeah, Jim Gordon made it. He just made it? He he banged out a bat out of metal and put it on there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he made it. They say in Batman 89 that Batman gifted it to them, but in comics, they say that Jim Gordon made it as a way to contact him. Because they they don't have the red bat phone in continuity in comics, but but that was the way that he would send an alert to Batman that he needed help or at least deter criminals from doing bad things kind of thing. Getting back to the topic of Batman franchising out his own persona, it's asked, what does Bruce Wayne do during the time Dick Grayson stepped in as Batman during the Prodigal Son storyline? Doug Mensch explains that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle referred to many adventures of Sherlock Holmes that he never actually wrote full books about. It was something that piqued the interest of fans for years. The idea behind Prodigal Son is the same as that. We may or may not ever know the story of what Bruce Wayne did during this time. Yeah, it's a lot of unanswered stuff. That's a real, like a, like a real political, like a phone it in kind of answer. Like, I don't know what he did. But who, who the hell knows? They, oh, it's for you. It's for you, the fans, to build the anticipation and let your, your minds run free with your headcanon. You it know? was gallivanting with Talia, and, you know, in some sort of private island somewhere that she owns. And I, yeah. oh, All right, Lee, give us the next one here. Sure. As mentioned in this year's The Flash movie, Bruce Wayne's superpower is being rich. So, of course, the most Alta Vista question at this time, Google didn't exist yet after all, would have been, so how much is Bruce Wayne worth? Strangely, Wizard uses this comparison. Picture him the equivalent of a real-life Roy Disney, current owner of Walt Disney Company. Disney's fortune, as estimated by Forbes magazine, is $860 million. <laughs> Roy Disney, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> and to correct you, Google was created in September of 1998. Oh, so well, this is before though, because this is like February of 98. Oh, okay, so we're oh, early. Yeah, okay. We're right. Yeah, early, early, early. <laughs> That's crazy though. Close. Yeah, there you go. Next up, whatever happened to that child Talia had with Bruce Wayne? Denny O'Neill declares, quote, in revised continuity, the kid doesn't exist. If his child were to exist, Bruce Wayne would feel a compelling responsibility to be involved in the child's upbringing. Now, as a result, the son of the demon graphic novel was considered an Elseworld story at this time by O'Neill. Of course, that would hold forever. Now we got Damien Wayne up the wazoo. He's all over the place. <laughs> Michael, you like him? Ugh, no. <laughs> only time i like him is actually in the super son story with him and john kent and in kingdom come i kind of like him in that you didn't like him when uh, dick was batman and he was the robin oh i hate that i hate that grant morrison run oh it's so bad other than the batmobile being kind of cool that i just didn't dig it at all i didn't read a lot of damien but i was reading like everything with the new 52 for like the first year i gave a lot of things a chance and that batman and robin book by peter tomasi i actually thought was pretty good and damien wasn't as annoying as i was anticipating he was going (laughs) to be but that might have been just really low expectations (laughs) in more unrevealed minutiae about batman's secret identity They ask, does Bruce Wayne have a middle name? According to DC editor Robert Greenberger, nope, his driver's license just reads Bruce Wayne. 
I think he does have a middle name. I think it's Thomas. I'm I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on that, but I I think I've heard that. It seems like by now they would have come up with one. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Lee. Wizard wants to know, has Bruce Wayne slept with Selena Kyle? Scott Peterson chimes in again, stating his theory that I doubt he's had sex at all in the past 10 years. I think any sexual energy Bruce may have, he channels into his determination to fight crime. I don't know. (laughs) I read that actually, like I read this list and I was just like, Okay, no, I'm sorry. He's still a human being. In fact, that's one of his defining qualities. He's not Superman or Wonder Woman. He's a human being, and that just makes no sense. (laughs) I I feel like during Hush, he would have, you know... Yes. Like, come on. And that just happened. Like, I feel like, you know, there's subtext to the fact that, like, gee, Catwoman is now in the Batcave. I feel like something would have happened (laughs) that he, like, revealed his mask Hey, guess what? Well, we're here. There's a giant penny back there and a, and a dinosaur. Well, why don't I go back there for a few minutes? I mean, if Superman did it in Superman 2, then I just feel like Batman's like, hey, there's my <laughs> there's my okay for that. Finally, we have arrived at the most important question of all, though. Does the Batcave have a bathroom or do they have to go all the way back up to Wayne Manor to take a leak? Peterson exasperatedly answers, quote, don't you read the stuff? Comic characters never have to go to the bathroom. But Wizard suggests that although Bruce would likely have installed the proper facilities down there, quote, an underground river runs through the Batcave, which should take care of even the mightiest of emergencies. <laughs> I would say that that's quite an ejector pump they got to put down there to shoot that up to the sewer. But like a lot of the Batcave has little hangover little cliffs and there is a river. You just... You know, be over the side, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Well, Lee, why don't you take us out with this last bit? This special issue was timed to promote the two-month Cataclysm crossover event going through all the Bat books in February and March of 1998. So as we close out, we're going to discuss our thoughts about this storyline and the events that it set up for the next few years, eventually leading into No Man's Land. For those not familiar with Cataclysm, a 7.6 earthquake hits Gotham and reduces the city to rubble, including Wayne Manor and the Batcave. Anti-heroes like Huntress and Catwoman help out where they can, while Robin and Nightwing do their best to find a way into the city to save the day. Batman has hard enough time getting off of the Wayne estate and into the downtown area, especially after being buried by falling rubble. Of course, there are many opportunistic villains who take advantage of the chaos for their own financial gain. What do you guys think of this setup for a crossover event? Have you ever read any of the Cataclysm tie-ins? I have. I actually like this more than the No Man's Land story. And I'll tell you why. The No Man's Land story goes on for so long. There's so many volumes of it. It's like too much. And there's too many tie-ins. Like this is a little bit more concise in its thing. And I would have been fine with that. It just goes on forever. You know, the only thing that I like about No Man's Land is there's a time where Huntress becomes Batgirl for a brief time. And I really dig the character design for that. I like it a lot. That's fun. I I read this for the first time over the last few weeks, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was so cool. Again, like you're saying, the fact they said, let's just do it in two months. Let's just, let's really put a cap on this. And then, you know, it will deal with the fallout after the fact, but the main story of, okay, what do you do right in the aftermath was very cool. Especially like, yeah, like 
Batman's stuck. He's trying to get out there, you know, and like Nightwing and Robin are trying to get a hold of him. He's not answering in the Batcave because he's buried under rubble, all this different stuff. Like that was really neat. But I really enjoyed just all the different stories of the other heroes stepping up, especially like there's a very fun issue of Catwoman where she's battling Poison Ivy, which I thought was like, yeah, of course. Poison Ivy's seeing like everything crumble. She's like, I'll build it back up into this world, you know, run by plants and all that, which I thought was neat. The only thing I learned the most from this though is that like because you're seeing so many different art styles i was just like boy i really don't like this mark buckingham guy because he just makes <laughs> oh. batman look like a doofus and that's like the art they use to promote the cataclysm like is him going oh he's like falling and he's got this really <laughs> doofy looking face yeah on. that that illustration is not it looks kind of like a Ren and Stimpy cartoon comic book in a way. Yeah. In a way. Well, if he draws it like that in the interiors, it's not just yeah. like a one-off image. I'm just like, ugh. Yeah. He fit fables a lot better. He was the fa- he was the illustrator for fables for years, and he also his style I think became a little more polished later on, and uh, it worked better with characters like that. Batman, I agree, especially his Bruce Wayne. Like when he's just, I'm like, no, I don't. I don't like this at all. But yeah, some of those tie-ins were great. Like, I love the Nightwing tie-in where essentially he gets into Gotham and it's just him saving, like, one mother who's about to drown. And he's just, at the end, he's like, okay, I'm going to take that as a big win and because it's going to be a long, long night and because there's going to be a lot of people to save and he's already exhausted after basically just helping, like, one busload of people. So, yeah, there were a lot of really great tie-ins for that series, for that Cataclysm event. I think it's fantastic. Again, like, crossovers can get unwieldy and i think they were smart in how they're handling it here spider-man was kind of doing the same thing over at marvel like okay we're gonna do a thing but it's like two months and then we're out you know so they were hopefully listening to the fans and uh, giving it what they wanted but hey gave us a good excuse to talk batman you know so i'm glad that they put that together uh and so i i'm curious as we close out here have any thoughts come out that you feel like need to be mentioned that we haven't addressed with Batman. So there's an ad at one of the last pages of this issue for Thrill Killer, which is another Elseworlds story. And if you haven't read Thrill Killer, I recommend it. It's a lot of fun. It's not what you would think of as a Batman story, but it's very interesting. It's a wild character designs of all the characters it looks really cool very interesting story i highly recommend that one a lot also there's a lot of like earth 2 stories where like dick grayson sort of ages up and he's got that like robin batman-esque costume have you ever seen this it's like it's the worst and- i know it's you love worst. it i hate it, it is <laughs> i so love it it's so ridiculous but i love it it's so weird it's so weird looking but it's yeah. great like we we've talked about all the way along there's so many opportunities for batman to be reinterpreted you know and so many different ideas for what you could do with that but lee is there anything else that's come to mind for you as you look back at your batman reading or just your batman fandom where you're just like ah but also this um well i'll give a recommendation because uh i think that uh, i know that we were stopping at 98 but there was actually a story that was in legend of the dark knights that i really enjoyed that i wanted to i was like oh it's after it's like 2000 but it was the demon laughs which was a chuck dixon story i think uh aparo did the art but the inker who did it made it really look stylized and really cool and basically it's the joker meeting raz al ghul 
and getting together to basically try to take down Batman. But that's a really underrated little story that I don't think, I mean, obviously really diehard Batman fans have read it, but there might be, if you're looking for sort of one of those, that's not going to show up on those top 10 lists you see on like CBR or something all the time. Mm -hmm. The Demon Laughs was a really good, like four issue Legend of the Dark Knight run that happened in like the early 2000s. I have one last question. This character is featured in this issue, and this is by far my least favorite Batman character. And before I reveal who mine is, who is your least favorite Batman character? Hmm. Hmm. That is a good question. Yeah, because like, I mean, I, I immediately go to like stupider members of the rogues gallery, but I always feel like there's going to be some writer that's like, nope, I found the twist that makes them cool now. You know, like Clue Master or whatever, you know, like just like <laughs> Calendar sound, Man. Yeah, you know. <laughs> they sound dumb. And then, yeah, Calendar Man's in the long Halloween. Now he's Hannibal Lecter. You're like, oh, OK, yeah. now he's kind of cool. I guess the I don't know if he officially counts as a Batman or if he's just like overall dc but like solomon grundy is one of those characters i just <laughs> they put him in these stories and he always is just there and then he wanders off and he might <laughs> strangle somebody he might do something like he just always feels like lurch from the adams family who does nothing like i i'm never interested <laughs> to see solomon grundy he's eeyore and lurch combined yeah. Thanks for noticing me. Exactly. <laughs> what about you, Lee? James Robinson did include a version of Solomon Grundy in Starman. He's excellent in that. Like he, oh. he's one of the few writers that kind of did something interesting and original with him. I'd say Jean-Paul Valley. I mean, I still hold a grudge from that time in my life when I was a kid, and I just hate it, that whole asbat. Oh, yeah. There's a reason, like, Denny O'Neill, I think, even mentions in the special about how the backlash to that character was so great that they cut the the whole storyline short. They were sure, like, we gotta yeah. get Bruce back now. So, I mean, I still, he's like, yeah, he's like the Wesley Crusher of this whole, <laughs> <laughs> like, where you're just like, okay, yeah, we know which character that. needs to go immediately, like, as soon as we can get them off the show. Okay, yeah. uh, okay. <laughs> so I'll reveal mine yeah <laughs> the character that i hate the most is batmite oh, oh i can't stand batmite oh i hate that character so much so stupid Ridiculous. I mean, I'm amazed like Batmite because he's so funny that he, you know, he started in the comics, obviously, but then like Filmation did that cartoon and mm. then they put Batmite in the cartoon. It's like it was tailor made for us, you know, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that, that's pretty hilarious. I don't know. I, I did want to mention one more just as we're going out on recommendations. As I was reading, I just wanted to read like the era of Batman that I feel like I've not spent a lot of time in, which is the 80s. And so I was reading the first introduction of the KG beast and that oh. like, called, like 10 nights of the KG beast or something like that and it is a really cool story i think michael barr wrote that but i i really if you've never read it like it's intense and it's it's violent and there's a lot going on in there but it was it was really well done and had you know it had the detective stuff it had you know kind of the more superhero little bit of gadgets and all of that it, it was a good mixture of, of batman that i felt uh really played to the character's strengths so it's cool but hey, Lee, thank you so much. Yes, for thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, it, you want anybody to find you online? The only thing I keep, uh, you know, I, and I just use it to follow comic book stuff on Instagram, but that's uh, archive worthy comics. That's where I follow the podcast and all that stuff. All right. Well, nice. great. And uh, hey, we want you to stay in touch with us so you know where to find us. Where are we? We're on Instagram at wizards underscore comics. We're on X. 
Oh, we're still at Wizards <laughs> Comics. Uh, you can find us on Blue Sky if you're getting invitations and jumping over there. We're at Wizards Comics over there. Of course, YouTube, the Patreon. While we have you here, Lee, what is the thing you're enjoying most about uh, being a longtime patron? The uncut episodes are great, and I feel like I'm a broken record on this, along with a lot of the other patrons when it comes to this. The, the scans of all the issues and all that stuff, that's huge because, you know, I gave away so much of my collection, uh, you know, of my Wizards stuff I can't find. So it's like, man, this it saves me quite a bunch of money on eBay by not having to like go find <laughs> an, or, you know, find a scan somewhere. So th- that's always huge. So I really appreciate the fact that I can get those right as I, you know, I can check it out. If there's an article that sounds really great, I can go right into the PDF and just take a look at it. So I yeah, like that a lot. We just hit the highlights on the episodes. We're we're not talking about every single detail. So there's a lot that's still in each issue that you can enjoy if you're a patron over there. So I definitely glad to have you uh, join the ranks, but Hey, until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.